Oh, hi there. This is going to be a special edition of 911 Calls podcast with the operator. In addition to the normal weekly show that we do, this one hit close to home for me. This one actually hit my family. So I hope that you'll indulge me while I share this story with a special loved one of mine and the ripple effects that have impacted many people in my family and in my community. I hope that you'll enjoy it. Hugs. Nine one one. Where's your emergency? But I just followed a guy home. I called a few minutes ago. He almost hit us head on. He's drunk. He's literally laying in the middle of the street. He's so obliviated. He almost hit me head on. Hi, I'm just calling to let you know I was passing Stewart Road on 71 going northbound. There's somebody in the fast lane going southbound in the northbound area. You come off of exit 12 exit going 12. southbound in the northbound, yeah. There is a black sedan that crossed over the line and is driving completely erratically, speeding, passing people, and almost hit a head-on collision with a car that it forced off the road. Obviously, speeding, I was going 45. He's going to kill somebody. Yeah, that's um, mad. All right. Well, welcome to another episode of 911 Calls Podcast with the Operator. What you were just hearing was a smither smattering of 911 calls coming in from people who are noticing erratic drivers on the road. Many states, many cities, counties, what have you, they have special numbers. So if you see something going on going on, on the roads called this number sometimes it's 411 uh i you know it can vary uh but you're supposed to call and report drunk driving or erratic behavior on the road even aggressive drivers rage road rage situations anything like that um and this is this is uh not uncommon today on the show we wanted to cast a bit of a light on the outcomes from many of the situations that that end up happening because of the kind of calls that you just heard. And today we've got a special guest on the show. Um, go ahead and say hi. Hi. <laughs> hi. Hey. So I always give my guest hosts the opportunity to um, have a fake name or a real name. On the show, and if you want to go by fake name, I've chosen Robert <laughs> for, for you. No? Do I look like no. a Robert? <laughs> I don't know, sort of, but you know, I'm no respecter of persons. So let's okay, let's go with your real name. Your your real name. Welcome. Who welcome? Who are you? Um. So my name is Sammy. Sammy. Yeah. Welcome to the show, and uh. You have a dad. Yeah, I do. Yep, and and a mom and a whole family. Whole family. Your your dad in particular is he is not quite as cool as your uncle. Mm-mm. No, not right? even close. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not even close. Your uncle is much cooler oh, than yeah. your dad. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
<clears throat> we're not going to say who her dad is or who her uncle is, but Mm-mm. her uncle is super cool, <laughs> has successful podcasts worldwide, and the, all of the roads and, and perfect storms converged to bring us together today in this very unique episode. Um, which I'm going to have a hard time. I'm just going to preface it now. I'm not quite sure I can make it through the whole thing without crying because the other day I was actually, I'm in the shower. I'm thinking through, okay, how's this, how's this episode going to play out and everything? And I was crying like four or five times. Fortunately, I was in water, so you couldn't tell that my face was bleeding with tears. But anyway, so I'm just going to put it out there ahead of time that I might not make it through this whole thing without tearing up. But we're going to do our best. Okay, so to connect the dots between what, what we just heard and what, uh, what we're going to be talking about is, Sammy, you, you had quite an experience uh, back in 2021. In 2020. So the big year of COVID, crazy. Okay. Yeah. Right. So this was 2020, just as I remember. um and and would you would it be fair to say that life changed oh absolutely absolutely okay if you haven't figured it out yet the calls that you heard and the experience that put sammy's life on a totally separate trajectory are are one in the same in that sammy and sammy's sister who also has an awesome uncle and other people that we're going to discuss were involved in a very tragic accident that was caused uh, by, we'll get into it, but a, 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 a multitude of factors, some being driving under the influence. Would you say that's fair to say? Oh, yeah. Sammy? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So. Just off the front here, I wanted to just talk about a couple statistics because uh, some of these are shocking. So if I had a podcast that just played 911 calls from people reporting drunk driving or suspicious, what's called self-reporting of driving under the influence or driving situations that seem to be somebody driving impaired – I would have to have a podcast that could handle 111 million 911 calls a year. Wow. That is a crazy number. So that's how many people are calling to report erratic driving or drunk drivers on the road. Now, we probably need to consider that a handful of those might be people like maybe myself, where if I just don't like you on on the road... I might call you in as a drunk driver. I'm kidding. I would never do that. No, I would never do that. Don't do that, people. But you, I guess you could if you don't do it. No, don't ever do that, people. So, but, you know, f- with, with a fudge factor of, you know, hither and yon, we, it's 111 million people calling in. In addition to that, I thought this was a crazy number. Crazy number. 10,000 people die a year in accidents related to someone driving under the influence. Mm -hmm. Statistically, 
the majority of the people that die in those accidents are not the person under the influence. And Sammy, let me ask you, do you know why that is? Do you know why the the person that's under the influence isn't necessarily the one that ends up dying in the accident? Um, I mean, not necessarily. Because um, in my case, that was not. That wasn't the that case. That wasn't the case. Um, Correct. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if... I, I don't know. It, you could get all sciencey with it, especially yep. with um, when you when you have one force that's more controlled than another. Mm-hmm. It's going to be completely different in terms of like you know when you have two different forces going completely different speeds. It, it, I'm sure there's a way to calculate the likelihood of surviving something like that, um, but I don't know that it's specific. I don't know if you can hear me, Sammy. I think I lost you, though. Or at least you're frozen on my end. Let's see if you come back. See, if you can hear me, um, I'm going... Let me see what I can do. If you can hear me, I'm going to I'm going to boot I'm going to boot you from the room and then just come back in on that link that I sent you, okay? Cuz you're frozen. Okay. Hello. I'm back. I don't hey. I don't know what happened. Yeah, Zoom does that sometimes. It just okay. freezes. So cool. no big deal. We're just still going. You're still recording? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. So uh I I lost you when you were saying um two forces. Oh, okay. So uh, can you remind me of the question? Yeah, so the question is why do you why do you think uh the person under the influence isn't the one necessarily to die. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it's because typically in a in a driving under the influence situation, they are the stronger force, um, kind of dictating what's happening in that situation. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's the only thing on the top of my head that would make the most sense. I think you're onto something there. And being a a physicist, self-ascribed <laughs> physicist, meaning that I know that I am one. <laughs> Um, I can tell you two things. One, based on, and this is also based on practice, uh, you know, ex- uh, experiments that I've performed. Uh, one being in junior high, uh, football for junior high, we had this exercise where you'd put two football players on the, on the in front of each other and separate them by about 20 feet. And then you would have them run at each <laughs> other and try to, one tackles the other, like, Who's going to win kind of thing, mm-hmm. right? And the per- there's two things that, that factored in there. One was always confidence. One was the person that didn't flinch always seemed to be the one that dominated mm. those, those head-to-head kind of things. The other was obviously, like you're saying, force. So physics come into play. But what's interesting about that is even if you're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this and you run and you run as fast as you can, any any adjustment or reduction of your forward motion 
ends up being a major factor in how that ends up happening. Mm-hmm. So, yes, you're right. So physics is a piece of that. So that plus oftentimes the person under the influence isn't following what you and I would consider the law. Yeah. So the accidents happen when the person goes over the line and hits a car head on. Mm-hmm. Or comes through an intersection when it's not their time and they end up hitting a car in a in a more vulnerable spot. At, you know, they've got a whole engine in front of them, but they hit the side of another car. That's going to, yeah. it's much more vulnerable. The other factor is that most of the people most people that are under the influence don't tense up like like a normal person would their reflexes are slower so their body ends ends up absorbing a lot more of the impact than uh in different ways than the person that's that's not under the influence they see it coming they tense up uh, you tense up in an accident like that a whole myriad of things can go wrong mm-hmm. absolutely so, uh yeah so that's a thing and it even shows up in statistics which is tragic because it's just one more terrible outcome of poor decisions. I wish that there was a number out there that was, it's just impossible to get, but you think about any Friday night or Saturday night at 2 a.m. when the bars close, how many people are on the road that literally are legally not capable of driving. And I, I, I would say that I would hope that the number is beginning to be affected by things like Uber and Lyft. Yeah. Um, much more people having designated drivers than maybe they ever did in the past. But still, there's a marked number, uh, increased number of people on the road that, that, that are driving that should aren't qualified to be driving at that moment. That's just a reality. And it's, it's a statistic that I think any of us would be frightened to know that number. Absolutely. Absolutely. So in your case, you were, uh, I don't want to drop too big of a bomb here, but you were in an accident. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> I, I didn't know if you knew that, like, so I wanted to. What? <laughs> yeah, surprise. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Your parents got in touch with me and they're like, could you? Could, could you, you let her that? know? <laughs> Just so in front of half a million people, yeah. could you please let her know? We don't know how to tell her. So, uh, no, so you were. And uh, so this was... This was in 2021. It was in Ma- so, May. So, May 2020. I'm um, sorry. I keep saying 20. It's okay. So, May 2020. You just want it to be 2021. <laughs> it's okay. It's so fresh in my mind. Um, <laughs> no, so, yeah. this was May 2020 that this happened. And we're, we'll go into a little bit, just a bit of, of what happened. And then yeah. we'll kind of circle back to that. Because I want to kind of talk. The emphasis of what I want to talk about is something that's not talked about very often, which is the ripple effect uh, of of these types of things that happen on a daily basis. And and I I can't remember. Did I mention already how many people die every year? Did I say that? Um, I th- Ten, 10,000, yes. more than 10,000 die per year, Yeah, which is just unbelievable. That, that, that equates to 28 people a day dying from accidents involving uh, someone under the influence. Okay, so, so really quickly then, because this is going to be a very short episode, just kidding. <laughs> just really quickly though, so you were in an accident that, um, ex- explain just a little bit of the, the Give me the elevator pitch. You've got from the 13th floor to the first floor in this elevator ride. What happened? 
I was in high school, senior year. This was just the beginning of COVID. Mm -hmm. So schools shut down. Everybody was kind of like, what's going on? We don't know what's happening. Quarantine and all that stuff. But there was one night where my sister, she has a really close friend. Um, I ended up getting very close with her as well, but she was spending time with us. You know, it was just typical, typical high school girls just hanging out together, you know. Um, my sister and she, they they were very close, so they spent time together that day. Typically, at the end of the night, I would take her home. I would, t I would take our friend home. It was very early in the evening on a Thursday night. So nothing crazy, wasn't even like a weekend, mm -hmm. which I, I was very surprised looking back, and, and I still am, that that lined up so perfectly. We left my house at like 10 p.m. It, it was a very, like, it's relatively residential where we were, so I was, I was just going through an intersection. I was just going straight, my light was green. Uh, there was a, a driver who was under the influence going, it was 98 to like 102 okay. um, miles per hour. Miles per hour. Yeah, okay. in, a, in a residential area. 35, I believe, is the yeah. posted speed that's on that the, road. That's the posted speed. So um, I also, unfortunately, when I first got my license, I've always been afraid of driving. So I was mm -hmm. very, very cautious. I'm, I've always been a very cautious driver just because it scares the crap out of me. So... Because um, you're a terrible driver. Is that what you yeah, would say? You're, yeah. You're, you're not good at it. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, I'm but kidding. so what had happened was going 98 to 100 miles per hour on a residential road going. So I don't know how to describe this. So I'm going straight. He was going. He was perpendicular to you. So you guys were in, in opposite directions. You were going. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So you were entering the intersection, you were entering the intersection and he was coming at your side no, as opposed he to... he actually, because he was going 98 to 100, he was in front of me. He didn't have his lights on. So... Oh. It, it's crazy. The, the way that it okay. ended up happening was because his lights weren't on, he's going well over the speed limit. I get into the intersection and he's already in front of me mm -hmm. and I hit the side of his car. But because he's going so fast, he is going perpendicular to you. So yes. you're, you're headed like you're headed eastbound. He's headed northbound. Yes. Kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But he was going so fast that his car made it into the intersection before before it, you literally in talking to law enforcement's following all of the things they said the likelihood of that ever happening again is so small mm -hmm. because the timing was so perfect literally for me to be in the perfect place at the perfect time for him to be in front of me and i'm hitting mm -hmm. him insane like it, it's crazy so the physics of it then would be this, that he's in front of you, but his car is moving at such a speed that when your car makes contact with his car, his car's velocity whips your car. Yes. Yeah. Whips your car into a spin. Yeah. So correct? my car spun six times. I remember it being compared to fighter pilots 
and how they pass mm. out at a certain G force. Yes. Yeah. So yes. it was so intense that on impact before my car even started spinning, the speed that it was launched caused everyone mm-hmm. in the car to pass out. Okay. Instantly. Amazing. Yeah. So your whole car full of people, three girls, ages what? You were? So I was, let me think. I had just turned 18. So I was 18. My sister and our friend, 15, 14 and 15. Um, So freshman in high school. Yeah. Okay. And are you comfortable saying their names? Yeah. So my sister's name is Maddie. And Mm -hmm. our friend's name is Ava. Ava. And so when your car makes impact, your car spins six times, but just the, just the four, the, the velocity of his car grabbing your car and starting the spin, it, cre- it creates such a number of G-forces on your car that you all instantly pass out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it, it wasn't necessarily the impact. No, it was the speed. The initial problem. It was the speed of his car hooking onto your car and basically whipping it. Yeah. So it begins to spin six times. It spins. Then his car continues on, correct? Uh, Yeah. So his car, because it was going so fast, he went through a telephone pole and had actually broken through it. So the the line snapped. Like Looney Tunes. He punches right, like a segment right through the... The yeah, goes through a telephone pole, lands in a tree, a very low tree, but like in yeah. a tree. So okay. it took two forces to stop his car from moving. And just let's talk cars for a second. Your car was what? It was a rodeo. That's what it was. Okay, so you were in a rodeo, which is a which is considered a small SUV. Small yeah. SUV. Yeah. You're in a small SUV. Do you know what car he was driving? What what he was in? I think it was a four-door. Factoring that in, we're talking about a smaller car who whips around a small SUV, an SUV. Yeah. And and does that kind of okay. So he he his car continues on, punches a la Looney Tunes through a telephone pole, ends up in a tree. Mm-hmm. Your car spins six times and ends up where? So in the process of those six spins, um, because it's a relatively residential neighborhood type uh, location where we were, mm-hmm. um, there was like a, a senior center, like senior living center mm-hmm. type place. On one corner. On one corner. And there's this big fountain in front of it. And uh, so my car hit the fountain and that's what caused my car to stop. So we landed, we, we were spinning so fast that we hopped the sidewalk and were uh-huh. right next to this fountain, right next to um, the other stoplight. Okay. So the car spins six times only stops after making contact with a giant fountain. Yeah. Yep. Okay. All right, so we're going to we're going to slow the story down there, and I want to start to paint a picture. Because I want to talk about the ripple effects of this type of thing. And one of the reasons that I really feel felt compelled to talk to you and 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 
get your permission to to come on the show, and I'm so grateful you're here, is because these things happen so often, mm. but we don't we don't see the impact. It's Jack and I were talking on an episode a little while ago. It was one of the episodes that we called our, one of our abuse specials, um, which there's nothing special about abuse. It's bad, bad, bad. But mm. one thing we were saying was that domestic abuse happens all the time and we hear about it a lot by the way it's happening right now as you're sitting in your house 10 doors down statistically speaking that's how close domestic abuse is to you right now (laughs) and the crazy thing is every time we hear about a domestic abuse case it is so riveting like the one that we covered on the podcast that where we were covering this this boy who called 911 from his like pocket he kept calling 911 he wasn't talking but he was calling so that he could hear what was going on in his house hoping that somebody would come save him and when you hear that call and you you hear the you you get a picture of the story mm-hmm. it it makes you extra, like, it gives you a different perspective on this thing that we all deal with every single day. And this, what happened to you, is another one of those types of scenarios where 111 million people are picking up their phone every year calling about these kinds of incidents. Yeah. 28 people a day are dying from it. That's that's not even touching the number of people that are just injured mm-hmm. anywhere from you know, a cursory injury to severe life-changing injuries because of these kinds of of accidents, because of uh, people driving under the influence. And yet we, we roll right into our next week. You know, yeah. maybe it makes a headline on the Channel 7 News. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe you know someone who who was affected by it. But in this case, I wanted I wanted us to be able to take a bit of time and just talk about how life is affected by this. So let's rewind a little bit. Let's go back. What 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 were you into? Well, okay, you were born a baby, and then we'll <laughs> fast forward from there. We're gonna fast forward from there to your you're in high school. This is your senior year, correct? Yes. What cool things had been happening? What uh, what was your life like? Were, you know, were there boys involved? Were there girls involved? <laughs> Just whatever. You know, I'm open to whatever you want to tell me. So sure. I'm your uncle, but I mean, I mean, I'm I don't know who your uncle is, but no, he would he's, be accepting he's a of cool guy. whatever. Okay, all right, all right. Let's see. So what are you? What what was your life like? Let's let's go back. Like you know, as far as you want, but uh, you know, your senior year. It's a very memorable time. What's going on? Yeah, so, I mean, obviously senior year 2020 was kind of a dud for a lot of people. Um, turned out to be. Turned out yeah. to be. But but before <laughs> before then, um, you know, high school high school was a hard experience for me. I uh, I am definitely the more creative type and, and more introverted, even though if you were to ask me in high school, I would have been like, no, I'm extroverted, you know? But, um, so there was, so there was a certain level of denial. Okay. Yes. (laughs) You know, high school, good times. Um, but like, you know, really one thing that you struggle with the most is obviously learning about yourself and being able to feel comfortable with yourself and in your own skin, but also communicating with people that are different than you are, or, or even just 
communicating in general. You know, I, I struggled even communicating with my family in high school and that's typical, you know, just being a lame teenager. Um, but one thing that I really turned to as a result of having that disconnect with others around me. And, and, and one thing too, is my dad was a teacher at at my high school, a religious teacher. So I think that Nerd. also, yeah, yeah, I know. What a dork. <laughs> Are we talking about my dad <laughs> or but me? I think so. <laughs> no, no, not you. No, but Just him. He's, a, he's a dork. <laughs> no, but mm. I think that also created a little bit of a, I, I don't know how to explain it. A lot of people struggled to connect with me because they felt like I was, I don't know, like the outcome of that. Yeah, maybe you were different because you had a, a, a what is, some may see as an advantage in school. Others may just see you as peculiar because yeah. there's this parental influence that always seems to be present in your, so exactly. your friends or those who wanted to be your friend be like, oh, I wonder yeah. what he would think of me or what I, you know, I could see that. I, that that would be an interesting wrinkle. Yeah, so, I mean, having that aspect um, a part of things, I think, did impact, mm-hmm. I don't know how much, but, you know, obviously, there's a lot of things that play a factor in the way uh, your circumstances end up being. But I had turned to music as a way to communicate, not to people, but to myself, um, cause I didn't share my music really a lot with people until like my senior year. Um, a little bit, I, I shared a little bit on my Instagram and was kind of like, yay, like I do this, you know? Um, mm-hmm. but that was my way of understanding myself and understanding how I'm okay. feeling. So uh, very selfish reasons as to why I was writing music, but really like if you're not communicating with other people, you need to get it out somehow, you know? Right. Yeah. Okay. So, so I'm, for those who are wondering, I will ask you a couple questions to qualify what you mean by you turn to music. So were you a tuba player? Um, no, No. that would have been cool. (laughs) I (laughs) would it have, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I started writing music and singing and playing the guitar. I've played guitar Mm -hmm. for, I started learning as a really young kid when I was like nine. So I've been learning for about 11 years. So I'm going to start, and you don't know I'm going to do this, but on the episode, this is going to be happening is um, I'm going to to bolster the, because I know right now there might be listeners that are like, oh my gosh, did the operator really bring a 20 something year old girl who's talking about her music? Oh, and it's the way I express myself. I know how to play the guitar. I know there are people that are like, oh my gosh, this is the dumbest episode because, you know, but here's what I'm going to drop is a bomb. And I have uh, a recording of you singing as a little tiny person singing a very difficult song. Do you know which song I'm talking about? What bomb I'm going to drop here? Oh, let me think. Is it the German aria? Is it that one? It is a German aria. (laughs) And we're going to listen to that right now. Thank you. 
So, okay, so that was that was Sammy age. What, how old were you when you did that? Were, were you like? So I was about six or seven. I, I started doing yeah. some things competitively locally, and that was kind mm-hmm. of my debut <laughs> right moment. Yeah, so so you you thought you'd bust onto the music scene. <laughs> You're like, you know what? It'd really be a banger as a six year old. All these other kids are listening to. Joja soup face and you're you're bringing the german arias yeah that's gonna bring the boys to the yard uh but okay so this 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 little ditty that you did which blows my mind and makes my throat hurt even thinking about trying to sing that um you you were in a local competition right you were a lo- in a local competition where you ended up competing against like a well-versed a seasoned guitarist right this guy mm-hmm. this guy was crazy and it, so it's it's you which at that point i don't think you even qualified as a full person no. uh, you know and, and against him and like i was amazed at that point and at that point when i saw that i was like that that is exceptional because there's something to be said about like stage moms and stage dads and they can push kids to a certain direction and everything. But you from a very young age showed that you have, have an exceptional talent, which is something that I've always taken pride in watching you develop over time. So, so this is when, when we're talking about you turn to music, we're not talking about, you know, you were sitting there like what rhymes with pain? Oh yeah. Rain. That wasn't you. You weren't you weren't kind of creating like macaroni and sorrow goth pieces as this brooding high schooler. You were creating like holy cow, that's nuts kind of music. Oh well, I mean I appreciate that as well, and, and especially coming from you. But um, yeah, because I, I'm so cool. Yeah, because you're so cool. <laughs> uh, but I, you know, on a creative standpoint, when you turn to Anything that you can create from either something that happened to you, something that you're feeling, something, even, even something you're thinking, like you can become a different person through those things. Um, cause, cause to me, like I've always valued becoming better, you know, becoming, mm. becoming more of, of a, um, established musician, but also just as a person, my character. And so for me, like, even like referring back to when I said, like in high school, I would have said, I'm, I'm an extrovert. I'm not, I'm, I'm an introvert. Mm -hmm. And I always thought of that being almost like a weakness and, and I was embarrassed. And so I'd force myself to be an extrovert. I'd force myself to be these things, but I found that through creative things, I became an extrovert. So, like, if you were to meet me just in person, you'd think, oh, she's not how I would have expected because on stage Mm. I'm an extrovert. And that comes naturally. Yes. And that's easy. And so that was very empowering for me because I was like, you know what? It doesn't matter what people think about me because I can be whatever I want to be through what I create. So that was kind of where I was at. That's an amazing universal lesson, I think, for for all of us to to kind of grasp, uh, I I can relate with that. Uh, I think a lot of people that that see me or hear me are like, "Oh my goodness, the guy just won't stop." 
you know, <laughs> but I am very, I'm actually very shy. The way I like to put it to people is if you said, hey, you've got to go to this uh, local city chamber of commerce event and shake <laughs> hands and hand out business cards and mingle, I'd be like, Oh no, never going to do it. Couldn't pull it off. Can't do that at all. You'll find me by the food table. That's that. But if they said, Hey, there's a, there's a crowd of 10,000 people out there. We need you to go out out on stage and talk about stuff you like to talk about. I'd be like all day long. It's so weird. And even in my current form, which is the operator, it, it allows, I can relate with that because it allows you to kind of release your creativity and and not be burdened by what people may think because you're you're covered in this in the shroud. Uh, for you, music was a shroud to be able to say, "Hey, right now I'm in this hard candy shell of creativity. Look how shiny and pretty it is." Mm-hmm. And it really it diverts away from. Anything where you might be like, am I am I skinny enough? Is my hair the right color? You yeah. know, should I whiten my teeth? <laughs> you know, all the things that some. But you 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 open your mouth, and whether a German aria comes out or your latest song that you've written, it 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 presents a different uh, thing, right? A different mm. character, which which lets you kind of ride that social wave a little easier. Is absolutely. That, would you say that's accurate? Oh, absolutely. That That is kind of what kept me going in high school just because it was so hard for, like, and I, I don't know what it is. I think it might have been a personality thing for me. I, I've always struggled with making friends. And, and for the longest time, I was like, well, I'm the common factor. It must be coming from something is wrong with me. And, and I don't really know how, how to change those things. And, and so I would work really hard and really try to become that person. And the thing was, is like, I, I was a floater in high school. I, I knew everybody. Mm-hmm. I talked to everybody, but there was a disconnect. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think a lot of people feel that way. Most people probably felt, feel that way in high school. Um, mm-hmm. and so for me, like music seriously, seriously was that way, my way of being able to really get to know myself and become a better, a better version of myself. So, yeah. I like that. Okay. So that, you know, it's one thing to talk about, you know, that you would use music as an outlet and any of us that can channel our inner high school kid that we had, a lot of us were like, well, yeah, I found my, I, I resorted to, you know, I just put myself into my, my soccer or, you know, we all, a lot of kids, you know, like I did poetry. I did, you know, pencil yeah. sketches. It's, it's common to kind of draw inward towards something where you feel uh, maybe can be something that sets you apart. But this did set you apart because something happened in twenty in twenty nineteen toward the end mm-hmm. of twenty nineteen that was very unique. What what was that thing? Um. So I actually got signed with the label. Um. They're they're a branch off of Origin Records, which is a label that specializes in classical and jazz music. The thing that was unique about it is that I don't specialize or do classical 
slash jazz music. I, I love performing and doing those things and, and trying those genres, but that's not what got me noticed. Um, hmm. I actually... So your German aria wasn't <laughs> what was kicking it at when they're like, man, we need to sign this guy. No, yeah. It wasn't the thing? <laughs> no. No? So I... Really, those songs that I was writing in high school, I, I wrote enough to put together an album. Um, hmm. The... Uh, the genre was more R&B. It, it was definitely, like, very upbeat, very... To me, I I, it, I mean, I don't know. For me, it felt more surface level just because I was in high school. And, you know, like, I hadn't really experienced anything in my life. I kind of had a boring, typical, like, oh, I'm a teenage girl and this is my life, you know? So, mm-hmm. um... Well, and you were using tools at your disposal. I remember... There were a handful of songs that you produced uh, that that you wrote and created. There were a couple even that had collabs with, uh, which is a very modern term, <laughs> collab. But you did a couple collabs with uh, some other, uh, I know one guy in particular, and he, he specialized in more electronic music. And you were, so you were heading that direction, right? You were, you were kind of creating this... Uh, music that fit that and 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 it's very that that kind of music is very popular with uh your your flavor of of age of children yeah so you were kind of building building a repertoire of songs um and then this label which is classical and jazz was like they were they were interested enough that they were willing to go away from their genre yeah uh, of of the album the artists that they represent to to take a chance on you that's pretty crazy for any age i don't care how old you are that that's pretty for crazy. sure and and really with with the genre it was very like pop influenced very um i guess you can say i mean in in what's popular today it's basic um very cookie cutter i i will say the stuff that i wrote like i really put a lot of time to make sure that it kind of broke that uh mold um, mm-hmm. but a lot of the stuff I was doing, I, it's cause I felt like that was the route. That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to do what's trending. You're supposed to do what, um, is marketable, the most marketable. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, like, and, and really like that, that did get me picked up by a label and I was really, really excited about it. Um, and we, I mean, I was consistently in meetings um, discussing the future plans for the upcoming year, uh, getting into the, the studio and recording and creating videos and, and the whole thing. So I was really excited about that process and moving forward. Now, I want to clarify for the listening audience right now, things are going to get rocky. Um, but I want to clarify, you're talking about those things as if they were in the past tense. I just wanted to give everybody a heads up. Sammy didn't die. So just in case you were wondering, <laughs> she made it through this whole incident. So in case you were like, I've got to know. So now you know. <laughs> now moving forward. Okay, so you've got a label that's chomping at your heels. You're in meetings with them. You're still a high school kid. You're still a kid. Yeah. Uh, you know, eight minutes before that, you were just like every other kid trying to figure out, you know, making your way downtown. Absolutely. Right? Making my way making downtown. My way. Yeah. Walking fast. <laughs> to my dad's office. Do, 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 What's my dad doing for lunch? Do, do, do. Yeah, I know how it goes. Um, okay, so so that's happening. 
uh, these are all so basic questions that I'm, I'm going to answer some of them for you to just kind of speed things up a little. You had a boyfriend. You, you were sampling the waters. Well, so in, let me think. It's it's hard to remember because after after the accident, it's like a fever dream all before mm, the fever. So the the whole relationship after the it was a fever dream of sorts. Yes, um, yeah. I didn't I think know the boy right now very well either. Weird. So. What's funny is you might feel like that's unique, but actually, <laughs> there's a lot of our listeners right now that are like, "Yeah, I had a lot of relationships, and I'm now 45, and I have cats, and a lot of my relationships were fever dreams." Yeah. So, Sammy, I can relate. Um, so, okay, so so you know, you were you were living the 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 standard. Uh, high school experience, Absolutely. trying to find your identity, trying to deal with your record label, <laughs> you know, yeah. all the things that we <laughs> deal with. Okay. Take, take me to, take me to like the, the day or a couple days prior to, to the accident. You, you had talked about kind of the basic blocking and tackling of what had happened here. The dynamic was that you and Maddie, your sister, are connected at the hip, really. I mean, yeah. you, you do, you have done, did before the accident, and and you know, th- th- there was this relationship, this bond that that I will even say, having kids and watching a lot of other families have kids, your bond with your sister is very, very unique. Like, mm-hmm. the, the, not a lot of siblings are like, let's do everything together. Yeah, but you guys did. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the thing that's funny about it is we are the opposite. And I, and I think that's what makes the perfect storm. You know, we. So she's black <laughs> and you're white. Is that what you're. No, yeah. no not racially opposite. Okay. No. You're both um, white children. Yeah. But, you know, personality wise, even looking at her in high school now, she's completely different than than how I was um and and really that's I think that's what makes a powerful bond is when someone is stronger in the things you're weak in and Mm -hmm. she she was always that for me even as kids you know so Mm -hmm. um yeah we we always have had a very very close relationship here's I'll tell you something interesting um is your sister took the reins and said my basketball team has terrible uniforms and she was like i'm gonna fix this and she calls me because she knows i have an apparel company she's like i'm paying out of my own pocket what is the best price you can give me on <laughs> basketball jerseys here's what i want she here's like the colors cars. here's the she's she's a well okay she's crazy she, so i i'm like okay maddie i'll help you and so like she was like it was like working with the devil's wear prada lady she she just knew what she wanted and she's like i don't know half of an age old compared to me and i was like yes ma'am okay okay, no problem and then yeah so she she, you your your dad has this car sitting there that no one is using and maddie says to him she says what are you going to do with that car and he says well i'll probably just i think i'm going to sell it and she says well okay what if i detail the car and fix it and get it all ready and then if I sell the car, will you let me keep the profits? And she, and he says, go nuts. So 
So she puts this car out on the market and lets me know, hey, <laughs> uncle, I've got a car for sale. And I'm like, this is a weird conversation. I have a son who's going to drive in two years from now. Uh, but let's talk. And so she's, okay, it was crazy. She's negotiating with me. She's telling me that she's got this car. She's telling me how much it's worth. I, I agree. I agree to a price. I'm like, okay, yes, I'll I'll buy the car for that much. Good job, Maddie. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm working with a little little kid, helping around and everything. She comes back to me two days later, and she's like, actually, Uncle, the 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 demand for this car has gone up. I have multiple buyer opportunities now. The price has gone up. It went up five hundred dollars from the price that I was willing to buy it for, and I was like. Okay. I'll, okay. Deal. And so I, I bought a car five hundred dollars over asking price because she's such a ball buster. Yeah. It was crazy. Uh, this, so this gal, this gal's a she's a she's a wizard of a different yeah. type. She's not cranking out German arias right now. You know by you know at the same time <laughs> you're you know you are. But she's like managing basketball teams. Yeah, and she- Selling cars as a twelve-year-old. <laughs> she she is the extrovert to my introvert for sure. Yeah. So mm. yeah. <laughs> okay, so we got Maddie. So you guys are connected to hip, and the other hip is connected to Ava. Yeah. So Maddie, uh, Maddie has a very close relationship with with Ava, um, and we we had connections with. Uh, her her family and we we love them dearly um anyway but uh close to i, I don't know i think throughout my junior I, it's hard to tell because maddie and ava started hanging out before they they got into high school um and maddie adored ava like was just she like seriously ava she is just the most she's the kindest person you'd you you would ever meet um and and especially for being so young just very down to earth very mature very um likable um and and when i met her i was just like oh my gosh like i love you like i want i want to be friends with you i want to maintain that relationship with with both of you my sister and and ava um and so throughout high school, like we, you know, Maddie, I, I would let Maddie and Ava kind of do their thing. You, you know, I don't want to be the weird introverted old, older sister that's like, I want to hang out with you, you know. And so mm-hmm. they would they would kind of go off on their own every once in a while. And and then we would hang out together pretty frequently, pretty consistently. I, I really enjoyed uh, that time with them, especially being a senior uh having very down to earth people to, to surround myself with. Um, and, and, and those that are very close to me. Um, I, you know, I, I really struggled in high school. Um, specifically there, there was some harassment. There was some stuff going on. I had some kind of heavy stuff happen in high school, uh, with boys. And I remember just getting texts from Ava just saying like, just remember, I love you and, and you deserve so much. And, and just like these heartfelt texts that like, I still have, I still read very consistently just because 
she got me through that. You know, you have like a fam, like for me, I'm blessed to have a very supportive family and, and people that are there for me. It, it just hits different when it's someone that isn't a part of your family that supports you as well, because then you, it, it almost feels less like they're required to, you know? Um, and so I, I really had that with, uh, Ava throughout, throughout high school, which was so good. And, and really she was that, that bright light, that silver lining in high school for me. So, yeah. Well, and I, I will say, I, I, I will compliment, I guess, compliment the way you were raised too, because it takes a lot to to have a relationship like you had with your sister and then view he, just humans at that age and be like hey these these two are ballast in my life they they ground me whereas a senior in high school you could be like ew last thing i want is to hang out with my sister <laughs> yeah. which so i thought that was really that was very cool um okay so so that's that's who we've got and the the night has progressed as you said, it was time to take Ava home. <clears throat> let's let's rewind that same day, and we'll talk about another individual. We won't mention his name, but do you know any details about the other individual that was in the car, the um, other car? So I know some things, not anything really too detailed. Um, I I kind of prevented some doing too deep of research just because mm -hmm. following we had some pretty crazy stuff happen when when there's hostility on the other side you just you don't even want to touch that you know but um what i do know is he uh was 19 years old so mm -hmm. young um below the drinking age and I don't know. I, I, I could. Well, I'll, let me pick this up. I'll pick this up yeah. for you. Having had this hit close to home, this accident, in the days that followed, being me and doing what I do for a living, I thought it might be important to kind of chronicle who this other individual was and see what all's going on here, what the dynamic is. And so I actually uh, captured the that day and the previous day i captured all of his facebook posts mm. and the comments and everything that were going down and um so without any getting specific i can i can say that this 19 year old was struggling mm -hmm. um whether it was by his own design or, 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 or you know, a, a situation that was created by himself or was a factor of other outside forces, he had spent the day drinking. Mm -hmm. He had also other elements in his system that he had consumed throughout the day. Yeah. Like, this wasn't just a, I'm going to steal a beer from mom's fridge and get in my car. This, this individual, through his social media, was posting rabidly about the day he was having and what he was consuming through the day. 
his friends were commenting and commented afterward, after this whole incident, confirming that he had been consuming an inordinate amount of substances prior to getting in the car. Now, let's talk for a second. Do you know why he got in the car? What was his? What were his motives? I I had heard that there had been kind of a conflict about even the car itself. Um, It's not his. Mm. It was a family member's. um, And he had taken it without asking. And, um, you know, actually, there, there, I I don't know if the case ever developed, really, but there were potential um, charges to be placed on friends as well that were involved. Um, Might have been complicit in one thing or another. Yeah, there. I, I know that there was one in particular that had encouraged him to go to drive okay. while drinking, mm-hmm. while doing those things, and knew exactly what was happening. He clearly was in a state of aggression due to the speed mm-hmm. and and the lack. Obviously, when you're under the influence, you are kind of in a haze. There had been conflict. There had been things kind of going on. And they even described it after things had happened and, and uh, reports kind of came out. It was described as a complete disregard of human life. His his actions in this case were intentional. Witnesses to, to seeing him go down the road testified that he was going an extremely high rate of speed and was not f- stopping for anything. Mm-mm. That the whole the whole course of his travels was miles yeah. at that speed. Miles. Not like taking the first chance opportunity he could get to stop this. He was literally pedal to the metal, not stopping at any red light or anything, waiting for something else to stop him. Very soon after, I, I remember being in the hospital and hearing accusations that I that I was guilty that that it was mm. it was my fault. Um, rumors had kind of spread even in my high school that um, I was texting while driving, and mm. I had caused this. But but it's interesting because the moment it happened, officers knew it. Exactly. You know, obviously they have to run reports, they have to do research just to make sure, but the nature of it, it was very evident what had happened. Um, and yeah, I'm very lucky that the last thing I remember was a green light because... Yes. Well, and that was proven too, that you you actually had the right of way in this situation. So you, even even if there was anything called into question, you would have been... Exactly. Found is not causing the accident. It's hard for me to say victim for myself just mm-hmm. because I came out of that essentially without a scratch. Um, and really, like, even before, so right before it had happened, like, I kid you not, like, 100 feet. I mm-hmm. remember thinking to myself, you know, Ava didn't live very far away from me. And so I just thought, oh, it's just a quick drive. So I'll just go without my seatbelt. And a hundred feet before the collision, I remember thinking to myself, you need to put your seatbelt on. And I was like, 
Okay. And, and after that first little accident that I had, that wasn't a big deal. It was just a little fender bender. I remember telling myself if I ever thought to myself, I need to put my seatbelt on. Like if I had forgotten and, and I remembered, I'm never going to ignore that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that moment it happened and I remember promise, promising myself that. And I was like, okay, I put on my seatbelt and right after it, the whole thing commenced. Yeah. All right. Let's reveal how, how everything ended up. So you do a six, six spin pirouette in a couple tons of metal and glass. Your car ends up uh, stopping at only the behest of a, a fountain. Mm-hmm. The, his car, um, which at this point, it, it, all signs point to he was he was either going to be stopped by the law or someone something was going to stop him and it was very likely that he was looking at taking his own life through this situation what ended up happening to the individuals involved yeah okay so the driver that had caused initiated however you want to he ended up passing away um and i believe it was on impact because of just how intense the force was the sight of even the car like it was evident there's no way you would have survived that like his car was a pancake my sister she retained some very critical injuries um she i mean you could list them for days it feels like let's list them let's list let's outline let's outline how they exited the car and what was the what was the collateral of that so let's see so i think naturally you just kind of were like okay it's just a quick little trip you know and in a residential area you you don't really think twice it's just kind of like okay like not a big deal so um maddie and ava weren't wearing seatbelts, and they were sitting in the back of my car um and because of the speed that my car was going the chair in, in, in the back seat, the seat in the back, in the back, tilted back and, and almost created like a ramp shape. And they were basically thrown out of the back of my car. This being a rodeo, they were thrown out the back window. Yeah. Of your car. Yeah. Of the SUV. One thing that, that I thought was just fascinating about the whole thing was going at that speed, you wonder how that translates in in the um outcome what really had happened was because the chair was angled at such a degree they were thrown upwards out towards out of the window but over trees even even for me like it's hard to wrap my head around how that logistically would happen so they went through I, i mean the trees weren't like giant but they went over trees and hit the building of the senior living center. I don't know which spin it was that they were thrown out of the car. I can only assume it would be from a further distance since they went so high. My sister ended up retaining some very critical injuries from that. She had landed in a fence, um, like a- Um, Wrought iron fence. Yeah, um, Mm -hmm. and she had knocked it over and a part of it had punctured part of her, and, and, and she had fallen into rose bushes. She had a rose bush that was six inches in her thigh, like up her thigh. 
Um, so with that, uh, this is one of the parts that I remember hearing clarified later was when she was brought in, the extent of her injuries was such that they they did what they could and and stabilized her life and put her in a bed in a room and then found the whole base of a rose bush embedded in her hip. Yep. Yeah. Like the whole, like you can imagine the gnarled base where all the branches come out, that that was embedded in her hip so deep that it didn't even register as an injury compared to the other injuries that they were dealing with. Yeah. Well, and the thing was, is it, it was May. So it was before anything really had, had like grown a ton. The rose bushes had been like freshly cut. So it was just the like the sharpest ends of, of a rose bush when, when you first get ready for it to grow throughout the year, you know, that was very deeply rooted into her her thigh, her hip. So it was in her hip going into her thigh. Right. And so, yeah. um, There was some facial injuries. Yes. That that occurred. So um, because of the the fence, uh, what had happened was the the tops were shaped to be almost like a, a spear. Yeah. Yeah. So she had landed on one of those and it had cut open her forehead to her skull so it, it actually had had gone deep enough to scratch her skull it was like the upper bridge of her nose over it's about six inches wouldn't you say it's a yeah. it's a it's a laceration it's shaped almost like a hook over her forehead and it goes back onto her scalp when when we were looking at the healing process we actually noticed that the that the cut had actually started by her nostril so oh. it, it could have been much worse than it ended up being because it it nicked her nostril, skipped over her nose, and went onto her forehead. And really, like, that could have just tore into her face, you know, even more than it already did. But she had also broken the roof, like the upper part of her teeth, where her gums are. So the roof of her mouth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so so the skull just under her nose had broken and all of her teeth were wiggly, like very um, wiggly and almost like they, they could just fall out. So her teeth and the bedding that your teeth were in, in, in the skull, that whole part was separated from the skull. Yeah. And, and that had to be re reconnected. They surgically uh, re attached it and then applied mm-hmm. braces to keep those in place that and that's just her face you know there were there were a lot of other things um on her head like lots of cuts that needed stitches hearing from the plastic surgeon that worked on her face using like over a thousand stitches on her face alone she also had uh compressed her back it was so compressed that she had to wear a back brace for a number of months um she had broken her neck uh, what's his name? The old Superman. Oh, Christopher Reeve. Yeah, you know how he's paralyzed or something? Quadriplegic. Yes. yes. Um, and it was because of an accident that where he, he broke his neck. Did you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is something that I, I have in common, actually, injury-wise, is I broke 
C1 and C2 vertebrae in my neck, which are, they're the ones that are connected. C1 is connected to the, the one that's next to your skull slash brain stem. So C1 and C2, if you, if you injure those, if you break those and it affects your spinal cord at that height on your spine, it's lights out for everything below that. Your lungs stop working, everything, with the exception of your heart beats. Uh, so you literally have, you're on life support or a breathing machine like Christopher Reeve was. And that same thing happened to Maddie, correct? Yes, that, that is exactly what, what happened to her. Um, I mean, luckily, which, and honestly, it's crazy because they looked at the break and found that had it been even just, I, oh, I wish I knew the exact numbers, but I believe it was within like an inch or even even less than that, that she would have been paralyzed completely. She had to wear a neck brace, a back brace, um, and she had also broken quite a few bones in her wrist, um, pretty close to all of them. And you have a lot of bones in, in that area. Um, mm-hmm. And she had broken almost all of them. Um, so that was a very extensive, uh, surgery as well. She, she had that, um, her hand was as big as a softball, uh, when they first started the procedure because it had also been, uh, pretty mangled, uh, torn up just because of the rose bushes and, and everything like that. So, but uh, I have to say amazing that like, if you didn't know that she was launched from a car at 6g forces and thrown in over trees um into rose bushes landing on top of and into a wrought iron fence you wouldn't know it now because of how well she's healed it's miraculous i remember right after she had kind of been healing a little bit you know my parents went up to the doctor and said like healing wise realistically is 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 this even possible like for her to ever recover and they said three months and that is insane like i i would not have ever expected that short amount of time and and seriously after three months she was out of her braces um, had basically everything just kind of removed. Her scars were healing very nicely, and she started playing basketball in our high school. Unbelievable! Just like it was nothing. So how? When she from? How was she? Was she in a an induced coma at one point? I, I, yeah. She was un, She was out for a very pretty long time. Correct. Yeah. So I think I was in the hospital for about. I think three or four days. So, so Maddie was in a, uh, induced coma for about three of those days, two to three of those days, I believe. Amazing. Well, and with the impact to her head and the, the severe, uh, damage that her skull took, uh, things were, things were questionable for, for a little while. Absolutely. Absolutely. So before I go much further, let's, let's talk about Ava. Yeah. What what ended up happening there? I can't pinpoint when it had happened. I I had heard a few different things. Um 
but she ended up passing away. Um, I, I do remember hearing pretty early on that they could tell that it was either on impact with um, the car, which I'm pretty sure that's 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 what happened. Um, because, because you were saying at the angle that they were ejected from the car that, that they would have made impact with the back of the car on the way out. Well, actually, so so what it was was the, I mean, they were passed out, obviously, which honestly, in, in, in my perspective, is a blessing because you can mm-hmm. guarantee that they were not awake for any of that experience. Mm-hmm. I think what what had happened was because of my car hitting his, that motion caused caused a neck in- injury. That instant, instantly. I see. Yeah, um, I believe it was either then or upon impact of the building. Um, so yeah. And and they would probably, I mean, the coroner's report would have a fifty fifty shot of telling you exactly. Wh- where that where death was imminent because this the the injuries there was no way she was going to survive either either of those scenarios with the injuries that she incurred absolutely and um i think with neck injuries specifically and and the specific one that she she had um it it was instant that kind of break Mm -hmm. there's no way that you would wake up after a break like that, there, mm-hmm. there's literally no possibility of that. So, um, it, it's it's strange because when you go through something like that, like, and especially for people looking on the outside, people think, "Oh, that's that's horrible." But, but to me, like, I would rather it be in that way than any other way. Suffering. Any any, any suffering. suffering. Yeah, I, I would rather it be like that than suffer. You know. Yeah. Um. So, 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 so she was, she was thrown from the car and then cleared whatever fence or whatever obstacles were there and actually made impact with the, the wall of the building. Yeah. So she, she made impact with the wall of the building and had actually landed behind some bushes that were against the building. Oh my goodness. Whoa. The the building that they had uh, hit was like the memory care unit of that. Mm-hmm. So it actually woke up a lot of the uh, residents there. And it did. Yeah. So so they had woken up and they were just like, what is going on? And so instantly there were people that were made aware that something had happened. Yeah. Um, the thing that's interesting about it is um, so Maddie, she had actually passed away on site and one of the nurses in this memory care came out and resuscitated her. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. And we had the opportunity to meet her later on. Um, and that was a very cool experience. Um, but yeah, so, so that, that had happened and she actually told us that the next day, none of the memory care people remembered the night before. (laughs) So like, in an ironic twist, yeah, none of them rem- probably also good, yeah, that they that they couldn't. No more but, trauma. Wow. Oh my goodness. So, 
Extending the ripples then from this, it, it has happened. Instantly, there are people that contact the authorities to say this impact has, has occurred, that this accident has occurred. Out of respect for you and out of respect for for Ava's family and all those who are involved, I, I've done something a bit different on this episode <clears throat> where I normally have 911 calls. I, I didn't feel it was appropriate to to share the actual 911 calls from this um, because I didn't want to, I wanted to, I wanted to talk about how this ultimately affects things and I didn't want it to I didn't want it to seem sensationalized at all also I wanted to you know protect anyone's heart who's who's listening and who had to who had to deal with this mm-hmm. so I heard that this had happened and the word that we received was what is often the case in these types of situations, which is it's a mishmash of actual information and kind of a, a cloud of noise on what could be happening. My mother contacted me and said that you had been in an accident and that one of you had not made it, um, not knowing w- which one. And so I contacted my friend's in the police department right away and they contacted the officers who were on scene and they confirmed that there was a fatality uh, but we didn't know who and when I got word uh, that uh, sorry when I heard what had happened they said that a girl with um, uh, dark hair was one of the, the was the the one that didn't make it, and that is you or Maddie, because Ava has blonde hair. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> so instantly, I was, I was. Uh, not prepared to try to figure out what what was going on and and um anyway <clears throat> this isn't about me but that ripple this is the first ripple that usually happens absolutely is information is distributed as quickly as possible and a lot of it isn't accurate uh because people are just digging for answers they're asking anybody that they can find and so it wasn't until later several hours later that we confirmed that both you and and Maddie had at least were were not at the at that moment deceased mm-hmm. that it was actually Ava mm-hmm. that had had passed away you know there's a whole lot of story here but the the driver of the other car had died Ava was killed in the accident rumors begin to spread no one has good information High school kids are talking about who's at fault. You've got disparate families that are dealing now with an extreme tragedy. And I would, I will go as far as to say polarized opinions on what's happened. We have Ava's family who is now dealing with the death of their daughter. Your family, which is dealing with two children that are now in questionable condition in a hospital 
During COVID, which is a massive wrinkle, not even a ripple in this case, it's almost a tear mm -hmm. in, in what I would say is a tragedy because the way that the hospitals were operating at this time is there was no visiting no. anyone. Yeah. The person that went in with you could not leave. They were the person that was there. And so we're talking about a family of how many siblings, including you? Um, so there are six of us. Six siblings and a mother and father. And one of them can go in to be with you or with Maddie. Yeah. Well, and the thing was, too, is my parents didn't know that that is what was going to happen. Um, and so... In the time that I was in the hospital, and even at home, I didn't see my mom. I, I probably only saw her a few times. Um, and, and, For, and only in what in what space of time? In what span of time? So I get to the hospital, um, and then my dad goes to my room with me. My mom goes to see Maddie. Uh huh. That's where it ended. They wouldn't. They wouldn't let my own parents visit. Right. Um. And, and, you know, my mom had to pull a few strings to even see me in, in my room for a brief moment. She even said, like, you know, one of the nurses let me, but not, I don't think that they'll let me stay up here. So, so I saw her for maybe five minutes. So in a three-day period, which is how long you were in the hospital, which in this kind of a situation is three excruciating days Unbeknownst to you or your family, you are now assigned a parent who gets to be with you and the rest of everyone that is worried and cares cannot visit. And then on top of that, your mom now is the one that she is, she has to shoulder the burden of, of sitting by, um, watching Maddie. Induced coma girl. Yeah. In induced coma. She's in a coma for several days and then she remains in the hospital for how long? Uh, so I believe it was two months. Um, two months. She was in rehab for a very long time. One thing too is I was actually, I, I went into surgery and, and one thing that was really hard for me is I had just turned 18. Um, mm -hmm. and they actually were considering not even letting me have a parent with me because I was legally an adult. Oh my gosh. And really? so when they told, when they told every, like the, the, the staff that was kind of handling me, they said she just turned 18 and, and with COVID and stuff being so new, no one really knew how to handle anything. And, um, I think fear was a very large contributor to a lot of the things. Yes. Um, they had to convince the staff to let my, my, dad be with me and and I remember distinctly like hearing them talking about this and thinking I might be by myself again you know I I actually woke up on site mm -hmm. um the moment my car stopped moving so so I woke up with my car stopping um and one thing that's very fascinating is there was no one on the road there wasn't a single person on, on the road. So I was alone in, in my car. Um, it felt like forever. I, I, it was probably five minutes, but the first person that showed up was someone that ran from their house, uh, like a block away. I don't know what that timeline looks like for someone to run to find me, but it, but it was very strange because normally like traffic there is pretty consistent, you know, just because mm -hmm. it's coming from the high school. You know, just kind of in that area. But 
there wasn't a single car. And I remember waking up and just sitting there and thinking, I'm not going to get out of my car. I'm going to stay here because that was the safest place it felt like for me. Mm-hmm. Strangely enough, you know, you wouldn't think that I would want to stay in there. And it took me a long time to kind of recollect what was going on because I was facing the opposite way I was going. Mm-hmm. So I was facing the road I was just coming down. And so even my sense of direction was completely flipped. I didn't really know where I was. But as soon as I remembered that there were people with me, there was a man at my window knocking at my window and trying to get me to get out of the car. And I remember looking at him and saying, no, like, I'm not getting out of my car. Um, mm-hmm. And eventually he kind of convinced me to to come out of the car. I think I think a part of me also knew what was waiting outside. And so I was very, it's very strange because, you know, after talking to law enforcement and, and the first responders, they kind of described me as being very scattered, not, not very aware, but, but I felt very aware in the moment, you know, you kind of have tunnel vision when you're, Mm -hmm. um, in that. So yeah, the body and the mind end up in a whole different realm when you're dealing with your, it's not normal. Your, 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 your mind is trying to make the best of it. Also trying to protect you. A lot of it are factors of shock. Absolutely. Correct? Yeah. Absolutely. Like, and it's interesting too, because, you know, it, you can't, and, and I know that even, even before the accident, I would hear people describe their close to death experiences, you know, and, and thinking to myself, oh, like, you know, that sounds like something that I can comprehend when you experience it, there is no way to explain it. You know, um, I, I woke up and I wasn't breathing, you know, uh, I, I had taken a pretty hard hit to the head. I remember the distinct moment waking up and not breathing and thinking to myself, you have two choices. You can feel the pain while you try to breathe or just not you know, and having mm-hmm. those two options and, and having it very clearly laid out in front of you, mm-hmm. almost as if it's not you giving yourself those op- options. It's just, this is it. This is what you, you get to do. And, you know, I remember thinking, I'm so tired. Like, I don't want to try in this moment at this time, because deep down, I knew what was waiting for me outside was something that, especially because I thought, I was at fault when I, when I first woke up, I thought I had had a stroke or something. I thought that, you know, something, my health had declined and, and had caused this. And, and, and it really didn't look like a bad accident from where I was sitting. I didn't see another car. I thought I had just kind of driven off the road. He had cleared the road. He had cleared the road and was in a tree somewhere yeah. and you're looking around going, wow, this was all me. Yeah. And, and, and I didn't even remember like in that moment when I was looking at my surroundings, I didn't even think that there were people with me. Mm. But as soon as that man came up to my car, it instantly became not about me because I instantly remembered that there were people with me and looking in the back of my car and seeing just this emptiness, this open, just looking down the street, I was very confused because I was like, what could have possibly happened because I didn't see him on the street. Right. And that's what you would have logically thought that 
you know. Or why aren't they at your window? What, you know, yeah. Where, what's, what's going and on here? Yeah. So walking out and hearing nothing, just silence, was insane. Especially knowing that there were other people involved. And I was the only person with this man that were making sound. And like, it's very strange how that kind of stuff can affect your sensory um, yeah. things. I struggle really badly with sounds now. Um, anything that's loud or sudden, I think that might also be a subconscious reaction to the sound of the actual accident. Um, right. But even just silence and my sensory, like I driving, I can't, I can't drive in between like a parked car and like oncoming, you know, just in my lane. Cause I feel like mm-hmm. it's too close, you know? So being out there, it's actually interesting because, um, to be honest, I think the time that you found out who actually passed was when I found out oh. because what had happened was Maddie, I, I saw her. I remember that I saw her at least, you know, I, I actually was under the impression that I had seen both of them, you know, with trauma, your, your brain kind of plays funny tricks on you. So when I saw Maddie, I didn't see her. I saw her body, but she was covered in, in blood, you know, and was unrecognizable. You know, you can't. And so I saw someone carrying a body away and I actually thought that who they were carrying away had passed that that person had passed away because of the way their body kind of fell into the paramedic's arms appeared like they had passed lifeless, you know? Um, But I didn't know who it was. And I remember going up to an officer and I said, because I overheard him saying that one of them had passed away and I didn't know who. And so Mm -hmm. I went up to him and I said, are they blonde or do they have brown hair? And he said he couldn't disclose that information to me. Oh my gosh. And so I stood there and, you know, feeling just about right as rain in that moment, physically, I had to also mentally prepare myself for who it was. And that is its own experience, you know, because you can't hope for both of them because one of them was already gone. Mm -hmm. And, And that's your automatic reaction. Like, I, I, I hope that both of them are okay, but you know the reality of the situation. And so, you know, I I had to prepare myself to not only lose a friend, but to have lost my sister. And then have to, somewhere in between there, I would assume, mentally make that choice of, it's wrong to say who you, you never would hope it's yeah. one or the other, but you're battling with... The likelihood of who is this? I remember thinking to myself, you know, if it's my sister, I I almost would rather it be that because I am a direct piece of this accident and I don't want there to be any reason to feel... Um, would it be fair to say... This is a terrible way to lump it and simplify it this way, but would it be fair to say that in a way you were hoping if it's that way that at least you're keeping it in the family? Yeah, really. 
yeah, that, that that's really what it was because to me, you know, being such a direct part of this experience, I don't want to say that it's a, a way to self-sabotage, but you, when you have a relationship with, with other families and, and with another family involved, I think because I felt it, because I felt what it felt like to lose a sister in that moment. And, and, mm-hmm. and that's kind of a broad statement. I don't think I, I can ever relate to truly losing your sister, but, but in that moment, I knew what it felt like. I didn't want to wish that upon them. Right. You know, and I didn't want to hope that it wasn't my sister because I knew how it felt in that moment. And I, I could only hope that, that that wasn't something that would have to be endured. And so, you know, you're, you're preparing yourself for, for losing the, your best friend both of your best friends, you know, and that's really what it, what it came down to. Like my sister, obviously closest person, um, to me or a friend that is so dear and, and someone that really was just a light in your life, only positive things that you've ever experienced with them. And so once they took me to the hospital, I actually collapsed, um, after a little while because I had internal bleeding um, my, my spleen had ruptured because earlier that year I actually had, uh, mono, which was not good timing, especially with COVID, um, kind of starting. Was it because of kissing? <laughs> no, it actually wasn't. But <laughs> the thing that was hard about that was, um, so they took me to the hospital. My parents were separated from me when I first was at the hospital. So I was in the emergency room by myself and there was a point where, the doctors even left because I was stable and, and I was just completely alone. And, and I still didn't know who had passed away. Um, oh my gosh. So I was kind of just alone with my own thoughts, just thinking and wondering what had happened. Because to my understanding, I didn't even know that substances were involved. Mm-hmm. I knew that another person was a part of it. Um, I actually, well, unfortunately, um, on my way, walking across the street, going to uh, the paramedics, uh, saw a first responder trying to resuscitate him. So I had knew, I, I had known that he had passed and, and had actually saw, I saw him, you know. There were rumors at the beginning when it happened, uh, like, like it always happens, but that, that he had been ejected from the car and was laying in the street, but that actually is not the case? No. So they, they had taken him out of the car and, and brought him to the street. And one of the, one of the, uh, one of the, the people that came over, the, I believe it was the man that ran from his house. After making sure I was okay, he went and and tried to resuscitate uh, the other uh, person involved. I remember seeing that and, you know, a million thoughts go through your head within that. And, and that's even just my personal side of things. But it's interesting because I actually had been communicating with some friends uh, recently, like a few months ago, about the accident. And, and one thing that I actually really love hearing are other people's experience within my experience, you know, like how they heard about it and, and the reactions from that. Um, and I actually had a friend tell me that they were actually on that road at that time. And something in them told them to take a different route. Wow. Right before they wow. approached that street. And so they took a turn and they actually heard it happen because the, the snapping of the, the power line was like lightning. It was so loud. 
In fact, I'm pretty sure the, the whole neighborhood adjacent to that had actually heard that incident from their houses. I actually had heard from quite a few people that that kind of occurrence had happened where they were either on that street just before just before anything had happened or they took a different route because they felt like they should. Um, mm. And and I think that's a great explanation as to why no one was on that road at that time. But it, it's just crazy because it's just proof that like, you know, perfect time, perfect place for something like that to happen. So, yeah. So COVID's hit. You are in a hospital somewhere between parents uh, Maddie is in a similar situation, but not aware of it. And she's in there for months. I, I believe, as I recall, as things evolved or devolved with uh, COVID and the hospitals over those several months, they allowed your parents to tag team. Yeah. Uh, whoever came in had to be there the whole day. They were not allowed to leave. And so they, they ended up taking large, large day, days in a row or in some yeah. cases, you know, alternating. After I had left the hospital, they were allowed to tag team. Um, and so off and on, I, I believe it was every day they would switch. Um, mm -hmm. uh, maybe every like day and a half. Um, and so, yeah, my, my parents would switch off. They would, one of them would come home and just kind of rest from sleepless nights, obviously. Um, and then while the other is by Maddie's side as she recovers, um, one thing that's really uh, unique about her experience is uh, she doesn't remember anything uh, within mm. that month. Wow. And when she woke up, she didn't remember, I think it was around two months uh, before. Um, so she really didn't, understand what had happened and because of her her brain injury um she would forget even the new things that she learned so mm -hmm. i think that was a really grueling part of my uh, parents experience um having to remind her every day or or every few hours what had mm -hmm. happened because she would wake up not knowing where she was and that lasted for a month she she finally was able to kind of uh, stabilize and understand kind of what had happened. And and even in talking to her, like um, at any time she would forget, she knew, you know. She knew that she was forgetting. She knew she she would ask, but kind of would already know the answer. I see. And it was actually quite a while before they let her know that Ava had past, correct? When she first woke up, her first question was, is Ava okay? You know, like um, mm -hmm. along those lines of just, just making sure. And, and, you know, my parents kind of told her, you know, this is what mm -hmm. happened. But and then she would forget. Yeah. Yeah. And had to kind of. Ick. I can only imagine that because I think that's its own special kind of hell to oh my gosh, relive yeah. the worst to part of your life over and over again. Revisit that. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Maddie made a, a, a miraculous recovery. You suffered some pretty severe injuries as well. And your return home uh, after that, then things get kind of weird. Um, <laughs> we have a, a family, another family. It, you know, Ava's family is obviously suffering. 
I, I don't know the details of it, but I would have to assume that because of COVID, that her memorial or funeral services were probably also greatly affected by COVID. I do know that it actually did have quite the attendance, which was really good. I'm really glad that that, that was able to happen. Yeah, I guess that might have been even a little bit before, like, everything really started shutting down. Yeah, it like, was before. Uh, there were still gatherings and things like that Absolutely. were happening. This also happened, and, and I, I want to see if I can link to this um, for the listeners as well, but there was a a, vid, a TV show that mm. that was a was a, por- a part of this after after Maddie had recovered yeah. to a certain degree. So that, that was in December of 2020, so the end of the year. Um, yeah, so a whole year later, almost. Yeah, yeah, approaching. Um, I mean, the thing is, is it didn't feel like it, especially with how long recovery took. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, one thing that's really hard about those kinds of things. And, you know, I, I want to raise awareness about it is that anybody that goes through something that's difficult and, um, traumatizing, you know, Mm -hmm. they're almost put on a pedestal of being strong. And and I saw that from the moment it happened because, you know, I was the only one that knew what happened and, and the only one that really like was, um, able to be the voice of what happened as well Mm -hmm. as, um, I think in a way I was a comfort for other people because they felt like they had someone that could comfort them in, in their pain within this experience. You know, when, when you're put on a pedestal of being strong, it's very easy to neglect your weaknesses and the things that hurt. And I found myself doing that throughout that year. Um, to be honest, I think that being a part of a TV show that soon was not the best for us, but very good for mm. our community. Very, very good. I see. Yeah, that would be very hard. I could imagine where in or, you're kind of put on this in a stage on a way, in a way, uh, with a you know an awkward light that's shining on you now. And you you become representative of something that you haven't really even worked through completely yourself. Yeah, to be to be the face of strength when you don't even feel like you've established that even remotely, it it's a very weird feeling, you know. The rep the the ripples that go between the ripples in these kind of situations. I'll just talk for a minute, uh, thinking of, of as I observe this. But I can't imagine having to deal with, which I know you have, and a lot of this is a quiet, almost silent uh, management of these situations. But two young girls now are put in the place where where you have to manage a very unique relationship with a family that has lost their own child, which is a situation that if— there are many there are many factors to this type this event where i hope people can hear the gravity of of what's gone on the loss of life is significant and unnecessary and then the dynamics that play into having two young girls now have to manage a relationship with a family of someone that they loved and know that they 
you and I have talked a lot. We've talked about how we should talk about this episode even and and talk about your music and all the things and and there's I've talked to your parents about this and and it does come up. It's like, well, let's let's go light on on this topic because we don't want mm-hmm. the family of, you know, of Ava to to feel one way or the other. That a fam- that anyone has to feel that that anyone has to feel the severe pain of what Ava's family is suffering, and I will go as far as to say that that there is another family out there who is suffering with the loss of their son. Absolutely. And although they very outwardly are dealing with it in a different way, and 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 doing what I do and collecting the facts and the information, it is indisputable now through all of the investigations that you were not at fault. That this this is this is this is a wrap as far as how this went down. That there is still a lot of pain that is occluding reality, which is another tragic terrible wrinkle in this is that there's a whole family that's out there that now for one reason or another is living in a life where they they have to deny the actions of another absolutely. that they love absolutely just that all because all because somebody decided to to get in the car under the influence and in this case which is not always the case but this in this case had intentions of what they were going to do and they they chose to convert that car into a weapon that day mm-hmm. and and that speaks volumes about the 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 dynamics that were at play in his life um okay so so recovery has happened tv shows are th- <laughs> Are are happening and kind of uh, with with uh, maybe uh, with with uh, all parties being reluctant to to be I mean, grateful, yes, but but reluctant maybe from the timing standpoint. But it's a community that has to move on and have a part of a community moving on is that media gets involved and when media gets involved, media wants a a happy, a ending, happy ending to all this. Absolutely. So so you are part of a happy ending now. Maddie is recovering and going through rehab. You have mental scars and literal scars that you have to deal with. There's another family that is not part of this recovery. That is two families that are not part of this recovery that are dealing with it in their own ways uh at with the loss of their children. And you're, you are now left to pick up the pieces of what was happening just prior to your world being turned upside down. Enter the, the, the R&B album. The R&B album. <laughs> what ends up happening with your, your R&B career? Well, so <laughs> one thing um, that actually happened very soon after uh, the, the accident I remember uh, an individual coming up to me after I'd been home and just saying, we're going to get some really good music from this. Um, Whoa. Yeah. Really? And I think I think hearing those words kind of made me very bitter uh, towards music. 
as you would. I and I, I'm sure that person didn't mean any harm no. by it, but they're going off of the old trope that drama and the depths of sometimes sorrow produce some of the biggest, the greatest music exactly. that we've ever had. So they were pontificating and not. They're tone deaf, potentially, ironically, to <laughs> what they're saying. Absolutely. Well, and, and the thing is, too, is um, I, I do think that it, it obviously wasn't mean-spirited. Um, I, I think, mm-hmm. if anything, it was almost their way of being like, you still have a lot of opportunities, you know, still mm-hmm. still yes. on, on the board. It didn't feel like that because COVID actually delayed the process of, of um, the album. And we were actually discussing having to postpone it even before this accident. After the accident, I remember thinking to myself, I'm done. I'm, I am done. You know, my life has ended here. I, um, I was very angry at, you know, when, when you're like, like I said, when, when you're almost the face of strength, when you don't want to be, but you had to be, you know, m- my mm-hmm. sister couldn't speak for anything. She didn't remember anything. She didn't remember anything. Um, and, and honestly wasn't able to speak for, for a, a, a time. I remember almost being angry that my community was putting that on me. Um, mm-hmm. especially because I knew that it wasn't for me. It was because what had happened was very uncomfortable. And and to think of, of young girls as young as we are almost being tainted by that experience um, and, and being terribly traumatized to the point where, you know, to be honest, to this day, I can't get in a car and drive um, without carefully calculating the route that I'm going to take. And, and I make sure it's a route I know. Um, mm. Just because, you know, w- one of the scariest things when you're, when you're in an accident like that and you pass out is you're in a place of security and you're driving straight and then you wake up. That night of the accident, I'm driving and, and in good spirits, really happy, feeling really confident, driving through an intersection, my light's green, I'm going straight not making any turns, just going straight. And then I wake up facing the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. And that's not... And it's like the lights went out, the lights came on, and it's a whole different scene. Like you missed the whole scene in the movie. It's it's like you lost a whole whole chunk of, of a moment of your life. And that's just, that's just a glimpse of, of the fears and the, and the situations that you have to deal with every single day. Because now, mm-hmm. like even just sitting here on this bed, I can guarantee the thought that something could blow up right next to this house and I'm going to wake up in a completely different reality has crossed my mind. You know, like that kind of mindset, being afraid of waking up is a whole other ball game. And so, mm-hmm. you know, being the face of strength to a, to an entire community, but being afraid to even exist because you're afraid you're going to wake up is such a strange experience with music. I was just like, you know what? I'm done. I, I don't want to do this. Um, I I'm tired of, of creating things and having people benefit off of them, especially when I'm hurting. Um, because, you know, when I wrote songs in in high school, it was about, you know, the things that, that hurt me, you know, or the things that were kind of negative. 
because um, they were they were a way for me to cope and communicate how I was feeling. I at that point was like, you know what? No, I'm not going to do that because this experience, while a lot of people are looking from the outside in, aren't in. In a way, would you say that it's sort of like the thought of producing music moving forward was sort of like manufacturing more more product that allowed not even yourself but others to capitalize on the emotion of this thing absolutely absolutely the the thing too is you know again like like the face being the face of of strength that is a product in and of itself it's it's mm-hmm. a it's a marketable product. It's a product that people love. People love to look at someone that that was at rock bottom and then rose to the top and was able to um, overcome this great and horrible thing. Um, and, and and so to me, like I'm thinking, I'm already having to deal with. It's not even pretending to be something I'm not. The fact that I'm mm-hmm. alive to people. And the fact that I communicate and can talk about what happened is strength. And, and to me, in my mind, I'm thinking that's not strength, that's surviving, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I'm surviving every single day because what I have to deal with is, isn't spoken about, isn't, isn't seen by, by people because they don't want to see it. They, they want to see the happy ending, the healing. And so with music, it, it really was just another product that comes from, from this accident. And I was just like, I'm not here to create content and products for people to look at and, and think and, and cover up what has happened just to pretend everything's okay. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I was at that point where I'm just like, I'm not here to lie to everyone and say that I am okay. Because this was, this wasn't even a month in after it happened. This was within weeks of what had happened. And and I was just kind of like, you know what, I I can definitely communicate with you and, and make it I had to be good at communicating what what had happened and not Mm -hmm. showing the reaction and and not showing how I was feeling because it made people uncomfortable, you know, and and especially feeling like when you have other families involved, you don't want to react. You don't want to show outwardly how you're feeling because you don't want to step on the toes of others that have very real realities that they have to face suffering you know right well and then on top of all that i can imagine i mean survivor's guilt comes in a whole lot of flavors absolutely but i could only imagine that in this case just prior to this happening you have a record label you've got you've got a future that 99.9 percent of high school kids would give a left arm for and then this accident happens and now you're kind of on pause because you're like, wow, if I I wouldn't, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you don't want anyone who is actively currently suffering, has lost something, or is in any way still in a rehabilitative state because of this, which are, the ripples are massive. The number of people that you you would have to be considering to, to in, in thinking this, but you don't want to be like, oh, maybe I should just move forward with my plans and 
anyway, hey, you know, Jack and I have talked before. We're like, if one, in in, tongue in cheek, we're like, well, you know, if one of us dies, Patreon's probably going to really benefit. You know, we say that in jest, but, but the truth is that people that aren't connected, they like good stories. And that's, that's what everybody attaches to, whether that's channel seven or a TV show or 100% or, you know, political figures, city officials, whoever. Well, and, and, and really like not to say that individuals have malicious intent or, or are just these, are these selfish beings that want entertainment. But, but in reality, in society today, tragedy has become novelty. And, Mm -hmm. and really like when you experience tragedy, it instantly becomes this, make it an inspirational story right now. You know, like the moment it happens, it's, it's like you feel a pressure to be inspirational and, and, you know, we don't like unclosed things. We like closure. Exactly. Well, and the thing is, is in a way that can be very helpful for, for a victim because Mm -hmm. that gives them a reason to port to progress. But the thing is, is like you reach a point where, you know, I, I wasn't progressing for the sake of the novelty You know, Mm -hmm. I wasn't looking at the trauma head on because I was having traumas from things that didn't even happen. You know, I I had enough of a head injury and enough of trauma that I started having nightmares and forming false memories that I was getting very traumatized off of that were things that didn't even happen. And so having that happening behind the scenes you're clearly like, I clearly wasn't taking care of what needed to be taken care of. Um, and so really like, you know, I think it's cool to live in a society that wants to learn how to capitalize off of pretty much everything, which can be very beneficial for hobbies and for things that you are passionate about. But really as soon as trauma, you look at TikTok and there's a lot of people that literally share the deepest, darkest secret or, or the most traumatic thing that happens in in their lives and they go viral. And, and, you know, here's the thing, like, that's not, that's not me trying to, um, shame or judge a a person's way of coping. Cause for some, that could be a very large way of being able to cope. Um, cause everybody grieves differently, but at the same time, the fact that that's even an option is so fascinating to me because it's so novelty to the point that this person is reaching fame because of something horrible that happened to them. Consider this. I've seen, you might've seen these even TikTok, 15 seconds to, to tug at my heartstrings. And there's a rash of videos that are out there now where they follow this format. It's a happy picture or a video of two people and the music is positive And then the music changes and it's one person, and the story is, they were everything to me, and now I'm alone. And there are so many of those, and you think about it, I, I experienced that as a viewer on social media for 15 seconds, and then my thumb goes, flip, and what you got next? What else you got? Instant. What else you got? You know, whether it's a, a military you know, individual coming home and the heart, the heartwarming, you know, surprise that all of those glimpses are 15 seconds long. Yet the, the, the time that it took to amass 
the the life experience to make that 15 seconds is immeasurable and that's yeah. what we that's what we lose i even thought about that when when we came to visit you for the first time we came to your parents house you're in bed and we we kind of just we, we felt like it was almost like a procession like well we should go say hi to sammy yeah. now you know put down your hot dog and <laughs> yeah. so we we make our way in and we're like hi how are you so tell us tell us about <laughs> how are what's uh that's a nice shark you're wearing. Like I had no idea what to say. Yeah. I had no idea like what what where where you are at headspace, what should we be talking about? I had a billion questions and, for sure. You know, all of that. But but everybody looking at it, like you said, from the outside in wants to know you're okay. Yeah. And once they do, the party moves on. Exactly. And then Sammy is left to to deal as the the lone cognitive cognitive survivor to deal with things and and I've thought about this a lot you know frankly speaking like you and your sister have totally different burdens to bear with mm-hmm. this your sister has a, a very physical burden to bear with this and the intense depth of the loss of her her friend you have a you have a it's such a it's such a unique uh it's like a whole helping in a half of survivors PTSD to deal with because you don't have a bunch of scars that that tell a story or back the story up or or anything yet yet you you woke up and stepped out of a car into dead silence knowing that just a second ago you were singing to the radio with your two best friends and now we're and you've got all of that yeah to deal with yeah yeah it it's seriously like just looking at the way things are handled today, it it's so fascinating to me. You know, I even to this day, I'm still trying to figure out how to how to manage and how to heal. Because, you know, especially in a society of instant gratification and being able to um instantly like have access to medications in terms of like mental health. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, but, but to me, it just, I don't want to say I'm, I feel more complex than that, but I know, and, and I've tried, you know, with medication, with therapy, there's so much more going on. That's not even being touched. That's not even being touched because, you know, psychologically you get so, used to those intrusive thoughts, those intrusive memories constantly going and going and going. But then in front, physically, you, you're you fine, you know, and, and yeah. you're able to be inspirational. I, I remember talking to a therapist and being just talking about a situation and just being like, well, you know, but but this, I got this out of this and, and this is really good and, and this and this. Because from the moment it happened, it was so public. And mm-hmm. I instantly had this be an inspiration from, from the moment mm-hmm. it happened. Because, you know, even in talking to law enforcement, like, I remember just thinking to myself, like, you know, I am the voice of what happened. And I have to step up. And I can't cry. I remember, I think I cried only twice after the accident about what happened to this day, you know, 
um, and truly had an emotional reaction because I was so used to keeping that locked inside for mm-hmm. the sake of what was going on around me. And, and again, like I'm, I'm not going to blame my outside sources because I, I definitely think that I have responsibility to be able to communicate what's going on and to communicate with myself what's going on. But, but then again, you know, you can't determine how you react to something so severe, you know? If we just took what you just said in the last five minutes and put it on paper and put check boxes next to those and said, which of these emotional, mentally, mentally stable, emotionally massive requirements should be imposed on a person and attached an age to it and said, you got to check every box. How old is this person that should be able to do all this? Most people would say that's just not something Absolutely. anyone should ever yeah. have. Be- that, th- see, and that's, I don't want to oversimplify this, but a single decision caused a massive number of ripples that that even they they super they, they they surpass they surpass what an individual should be expected to have to experience in their life for sure um, and i'm speaking about you and i'm speaking about the the parents who lost children i'm uh just all all of it okay all right so i sometimes i forget i'm on a podcast um <laughs> sorry also a little ironic that we're talking about you know distributing through <laughs> through entertainment a story like such and we're finger wagging everyone and here I am <laughs> like uh, here I'm feeling a little stupid <laughs> no but the thing is is everything changed within that mindset you know I still have kind of that belief system of especially so soon after there shouldn't be an expectation for someone to be strong, to make you feel like they're okay. You know, especially being an outsider, you know, I had people come to me in tears and, and I was uncomfortable because I'm Mm. sitting there just this emotionless traumatized being basically just personifying the thing that terrifies this person the most so what do i naturally want to do comfort that person right because i feel like in a way i'm causing this because they are looking at me and i'm like well i don't want to cause that you know um (laughs) which is another thing you shouldn't have to bear (laughs) absolutely well and so really like the thing was is um i actually i actually got to see pretty firsthand the irony within even just my age group about the yeah. understanding of substance abuse. Um, I, I actually had a few friends contact me in, in the most bizarre ways. Like it would be through voicemail or they send me a video and they're under the influence while they're communicating while to they're you. communicating to me. Um, for example, um, I had a friend call me and leave a voice voicemail high as a kite, like out of their minds, you know, just completely just blazed. And this was not your uncle. We're just going to clarify <laughs> that right now. This was yeah, not no, your uncle. Not my uncle. Okay. He's a All cool right. guy. Yeah, he's awesome. Um, but talking to me about, about my accident and cracking jokes about it. And, and don't get me wrong. I can take jokes, you know, and I listened to it, chuckled a little bit, hung up the phone 
and thought to myself, what, what just happened? What are you supposed to do with that? What, How do you what unpack is, what that? What is that? And then I had another friend, for example, uh, show me a video of them drunk out of their mind, you know, and crying mm. because of what had happened. And I'm thinking to myself, what, what is this saying to me? You know, like, especially with what I had gone through. And, and when words started coming out that it was because of substance abuse, because this person, and, and to me, it, it just, it, it made me even more aware of how much even just my community and my age group do, doesn't understand. Because here's the thing. I'm not, I'm not necessarily speaking against alcohol or speaking against anything like that. I'm, I'm speaking against the abuse of those things and selfishly putting the lives of other people in your hands because of that abuse, you know? Um, and so, you know, it, it it became insensitive and and I just started to get really bitter and I was like, you know what? No, I'm not going to do music. And, um, cause all of that happened within that month of, of Mm -hmm. what had happened. Um, and I remember being in my house and I was going down my stairs. And by the time I was in the, the basement of my house, by the time I was at the bottom stair, I had a whole song in my head from beginning Mm -hmm. to finish ready. And I remember thinking to myself at first I resisted and I was kind of like, what, what is this? Like, I don't want, I don't want to enable people to think I'm strong anymore, you know? Um, and you know, then the thought came to me, like, what if this is what will help you like heal? You know, this is what helped you in high school with the stuff that was going on then. Like what suggests that it won't help you now? Just because one person said that they're going to get something out of it. Like that doesn't mean anything. What could you get out of it? You know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so I went into our little basement studio type music room type thing and I because your dad's a teacher and he's also used to be a, he was a choir teacher yes. in high school and he may be a dork but he's an awesome dad and has a whole recording absolutely, studio absolutely absolutely I was <laughs> I'm very blessed with the uh, resources and the father to provide them <laughs> I love him he's awesome but um, he's awesome so I go into this music room and I um I write record and produce this song in under 24 hours that day I had it done. Um, I let it sit for a couple of days. Um, I showed it to my close family when I saw their reaction. I thought I should, I should release this for, um, Ava's family to have, um, cause, cause the song directly, um, it's called one, uh, it originally was called One More Day, uh, and I released it just quietly on SoundCloud. I let their family know, just kind of, not indirectly, but uh, just kind of quietly released it for a moment. And um, when I, I also posted about it, but at, at the time I only had like not a big following at all, like very little um, and so I just kind of posted about it a little bit and, and just said, Hey, like I, I put this together, um, 
do with it what you want, you know? Um, mm. and the reaction is what changed everything for me and, and really helped improve my opinion about not, not even improve, but, but it evolved my perception of strength and what that is. Um, when I went into SoundCloud, like even, even to this day, like on SoundCloud, it has over 40,000 streams. Um, and the comments are what really changed, uh, just kind of my, my perception of music as well. Um, people dedicated the song to those that they lost. And wow. that is such an, uh, humbling experience to now be a part of that person's trauma, that person's experience. Um, and, and as I read through, like some, some people would write messages to, to their loved ones that they lost in the, in the, uh, comments and dedicating the song to them. And, and I realized like, this is so much bigger than I am, you know, like writing and creating isn't about me being able to cope with my feelings, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and I think that also ties in with like a, a personal development thing where, where you also realize like, Oh, my pers my perception isn't the only one that matters, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so I realized that like, through experiencing something so horrible, so traumatizing, came something so beautiful and healing for other people. <clears throat> because to me, comfort and healing are very different things. Being comforted is almost a, a blanket, you know? But being healed is progressive. It's being able to not move on, but to be able to process the feelings to be able to grow into the trauma, you know, and, and, and grow so that the trauma has room to exist, um, without, without damaging over. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so after that, I was like, that's what I'm going to do. That, that is my mission moving forward. Um, and so I contacted, um, the labels, uh, manager. And I said, I, I had spent some time, uh, for those couple of months writing a lot of music, um, about the accident, about Ava, about, uh, that relationship I got into that I didn't remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm sure he feels really good about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, he's married now, so. Hey, he's living it up that for him. Yeah. Love it for him. But, um, <laughs> I, I just started writing from the things that hurt me with the, with the intent of turning them into something that can help another person. Um, and so I actually, um, I, I talked to the manager and said, Hey, I want to completely change our project. I have enough time to work on this and, and I want, I want to create something that will, touch the hearts of people in, in a way that not a lot of music does that anymore. You know, it's, it's very much, like I said, like instant gratification, like you want a beat that you can dance to and, and something catchy that you can remember, but. Or, 
or three words in a two bar space that fits in a TikTok that Exactly. You know what I mean? I mean, we we there are so there are so many songs that I could identify as a TikTok song that I've literally only heard 8 seconds of the yes. song. It's un- it's like no other time in all of my life. Yeah. Where where that would ever be the case where I've like never, you know, there, there's certain parts of songs from the eighties where I'm like, Oh yeah, I know that. (laughs) And that you remember, you're like, yeah, no, I remember that. But you've also heard the whole song 8,000 times. For sure. TikTok, you know, TikTok and Instagram and all the social, it's so amazing that they can excise a little tiny bit of a song and make that meaningful. And you don't even, I don't even know who sang it. I don't exactly. know where to get it. And they make your attention span so much shorter. People yeah. can barely listen to full songs now because they're so right. used to two second catchphrases, two second hooks that are the catchy. Instant gratification. That's, right. that's exactly what it is. And so to me, I was like, I want to create music that makes people feel something because in writing, like people probably think it's a little bit uh, self-sabotaging because I write music that makes me feel very deeply because to me, if the songs that I write makes me feel something and makes me feel very like almost almost a physical reaction to the mm-hmm. things that I write. I can only imagine what what that'll make a listener feel that might feel like nobody understands their situation then to hear it sung in a song and 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 almost expressed through music exactly in the way that they're feeling it. Which is saying a lot because as you said you've cried twice about this whole thing and so if you're feeling the depth of something that you're you're writing or or creating it says a lot because you're dead inside no i'm kidding yeah, i'm kidding no, for sure. no but that but that it's evoking <laughs> i'm kidding but it's evoking emotion enough that you're like that that's a powerful litmus test that not a lot of even musicians i would say have is Oftentimes, a musician being one, you you produce something and you're like, I think this is pretty good. Yeah. But you kind of need other people to validate it. And so the the extra oomph that you have is you're like, I know where I'm currently sitting. And so if I'm feeling something about this in my current state, which I'm going to go out on a limb here, Sammy, and I'm going to say... This situation has not come full so- circle for you. I know you probably sh- didn't, uh, you know, should have paid me money to be the psychiatrist that I am and tell <laughs> you that. But there's probably more to come for 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 you in this whole situation. But that the music component of it is something that I personally am grateful that you have been able to find maybe a happy middle ground between managing the the trauma and producing something that is is this side of the the egregious self-serving entertainment component that often comes with trauma and on that before we move forward if if you are okay with it I'd like can I play one Absolutely. For everybody? Yeah, of course. All right. Here is one off of Sammy's album, eponymously titled Sammy, which means 
same name. No. That's what eponymous. <laughs> yeah. So Sammy, and your album's called Silver. Yeah. So 
So that is one, and I I still can't listen to it without getting teary. And I listen to it. I it's really weird. You've you've created a problem for me because my family knows that I'm extremely heavy on the jingles. I'm constantly <laughs> making stupid jingles in my head that even I've jammed them into the earballs of my listeners now. And when I see anything, a sign or a faucet or anything, I'm like, everybody's preaching about Janice McGeechon. I will make a jingle about anything, whether it's political signage or a color or a smell. But you've caused a problem for me because now my mental default is to hear a song from your album. And some mm-hmm. people are like, oh man, is this whole podcast? Are you, are you pitching a podcast? You know what? In this case... It's that terribly good that I can't, it's stuck in my head all the time. <laughs> and one is such a powerful song. And I will say this even, that the one that's on SoundCloud, the one that made it to SoundCloud is a variation of what made it to the album, correct? I mean, the the one that's on, okay, and, and being a musician, I asked you, I said, I th- I think I, I, I might be able to sweeten that up. I can master it for you if you'd like. Can you send me the tracks for, for, from the song that you wrote? And your response was, what tracks? Because you literally produced, correct me if I'm wrong, you produced that on your iPhone using an app on your phone and you played the piano and and did the instruments and the singing, obviously, but there are no tracks to speak of because you literally created that in your room on an iPhone. Yeah, I actually, uh, one thing that's funny about it, I mean, I'm sure people can tell when listening to it, but I had recorded it on my earbud, my Apple, like, earbuds. <laughs> this is... Crazy. Every instrument, I just oh recorded one part, and I was like, okay, let's just stack that, you know, and recorded another. I recorded the piano on my earbuds. Like, I'd hang it on just, like, a little hook and clink, 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 you know? No. So you were recording the speaker on your yeah. piano through your <laughs> s- stupid earbuds. Oh, my gosh, that you've even succeeded at all. I don't know I how. know. I know. No. But, That's amazing. Yeah, so so really, like, that is what launched my actual musical, I don't even want to say career, I think, um, more so this thing that I create, you know, th- this is my craft. Um, mm. I, I actually have another song on, on that album that follows the accident. Um, in order. Yeah, it's a hard one to listen to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's called Taken. And, you know, I, I found that the way that I cope isn't talking to a therapist, isn't taking medication, isn't doing all of these things. Um, and, and, and for the longest time, I was kind of like, I am permanently broken because not even these things that Google tells me will help me. Not none of these things that that have helped so many other people are helping me. Um, mm. But but I found that 
writing directly from those experiences in in a general way so that other people can can um, interpret them the way that they like um, was very good for me because I I made sure to include the memories and the things that actually happened within the song and and, the, and in that way that helped me kind of delude and and put away the the false memories that came from the trauma um and, and so a lot of the lines in there directly um talk about things that I was thinking and feeling as well as seeing and and even the physical like reactions and, and the feelings that were there um and, and that one like I think is one of the ones I'm most proud of um <clears throat> just because it also doesn't really sound like the other songs on the album it, it, has, it doesn't yeah yeah it's very it it, it definitely evokes a, a different emotion and and just just to clarify, um, we're, we'll we'll tell everyone where where they can hear your whole album, uh, if if they'd like. But this isn't just a full album of of songs reflecting on on the tragedy that you know you you've you've crossed a lot of of um, of thresholds since uh since the accident and since since then uh one of those is marriage so yeah. you you've, you've gotten married and there's so there's songs of love and Absolutely. there's songs of loss there's this is a it's it's a very powerful album and i i'm i'm i'll just say i'll i'll, I'll brag brag about you for a second because <laughs> this is this is cool having been in marketing for a long time and everything you were able to go and record this album at uh, at a very special studio in Seattle, um, where Nirvana recorded, mm-hmm. uh, where Soundgarden recorded, where a lot of amazing bands have recorded. So you were you were able to go record this album there, and then just prior to the album launch, Mad. Mothers Against Drunk Driving, right? They say, we would like to help with your album launch. And they provided massive resources and, and came together. And so this is, this, what I really think is cool is, is this isn't just a story of, of a tragedy converted into song or or tragedy and then opportunity based on that it's that this 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 album is and and it's 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 what where what it's manifested into has become something that you created and then not only your community embraced it but people that are hardcore passionate about the messages and I will just go as far as to say in my marketing career I I worked with Mad. I worked with many of these organizations. They're not easy to get their heartstrings tugged because their their heartstrings have been tugged a lot, and for them to them for them to respond the way that they did about your album and about all these things, I think speaks volumes. Not about. I almost feel it cheapens it to to say things like about your album because you really told many stories on this on it, through through music and i think that's what's powerful and i really think that's what that's what people 
in these organizations have felt mm-hmm. you've you've done here, and that to me, uh, you know, your story was one thing, and you and I had talked about doing this episode and talking about it and everything, and. You know, I can't ever please everybody. I know that. And there's going to be people that listen to this and they will get hung up on the fact that I, as your uncle, am just trying to pump your album. <laughs> there's going to be people and I don't care because that's your, the album is a, a series of stories. And if you like stories, these ones are in musical form and they're, each one is poignant and, and beautiful. And what you've, what you've done to, to, extend uh, a hand to a community that that many are still suffering from and in these kind of instances there's a lot of silence there's a lot of people that step out of the car into silence and that silence continues yeah. because there isn't closure there is pain there there isn't a community to rally around absolutely yet 10,000 people a year die in these situations and each one is a story worth telling i'm grateful that you've lent your voice to those many and are still willing to to talk about it even though i know that you're still healing it's just become this amazing opportunity um you know at first i was very against being entertainment um Mm -hmm. and and um almost a a reason to move on for people but you know even though like what has happened to me directly I still have a long ways to go to heal helping other people heal from their stuff and 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 their traumas makes it easier for me you know, um, selfishly, (laughs) but, but really like, even, even in this album, like I wanted to make a very pointed, um, gesture of having all of the songs almost connect. Had a lot of people Mm -hmm. talk to me about, um, hearing lyrics that related in another song, um, hearing a, a melody they hear in the back of another song. And, and the reason that I did that was because while what I went through was something so horrible and people looking at it will think that is just a horrible experience, something so traumatic, something so terrible. But within those experiences, seeing people react to the music I create um, having Ava's influence in my life, even to this day, I, I look back at her texts and they still lift me up. And sometimes I even feel like those texts are to me now because I, I don't know what it was. They were written in such a way that could be interpreted as if they were sent for now, you know, um, mm-hmm. and, and having those memories and seeing my sister play basketball, play lacrosse and see her thrive and see her physically be able to function. Um, and the fact that she can even walk and talk, all of those things all together are so silver linings in, in this whole experience, you know? Um, and that's why the album's name silver and, and really like, 
I think that it's too easy to be very um, casual with being like, oh, well, be positive and, and you can see the good and everything, you know? And that's why I had just little moments in each of the songs, even in the darkest songs, having moments of, of um, peace or, or moments of um, even just a, a more uh, major melody um, in, in a very mm-hmm. negative song or, or a very minor song. Um, that was what I want to portray to others. I want them to hear what it sounds like to have the bittersweet experience of trauma. Um, and so, yeah, you know, to me, like, it's an honor to be able to really reach into that depth of experience and feeling and, and trauma and, um, healing and put it into music. So, yeah, I, I definitely am more than grateful for being able to communicate in that way and to connect other people in that way. So, Well, to me, you're still a five-year-old Kids singing German arias, and I don't know how you developed into the coherent being that you currently are. I am very glad to know you, and I'm very, I feel very privileged to be able to have watched all of this. And, and uh, just in case anyone is wondering, um, I did, I also reached, I, I've communicated a lot with your sister, and, and I let her know, I'm like, hey, if you ever feel like you want to talk about this <laughs> on a microphone and I and I in no way you know I I hope you know I think you know I, I've I've tried to approach this with respect knowing that it's something that very easily could tilt one way toward you know seeming um, like um, you know profiting off of Absolutely. a tragedy and uh, and I'm glad I think this has come across in a good way and I I, I, I was talking to your sister and I said if you ever want to because I, I felt I felt kind of bad because you and I had been talking we've been talking about yeah. doing this and then I was like hey Maddie also I don't want you your, you have a very unique story <laughs> and if you ever want to talk about that please I will love to. And she looks at me, she's like, yeah, I'll let you know. <laughs> she is so tough. I mean, she is, is her own. She's, she is, you two are very different and yeah. she is dealing with this in her own way. And, um, and you are surrounded by love and people that love you. And I know that you're both finding peace in your own way with this and that peace will continue to come and that hopefully those who have listened through this this whole podcast have know that in the crucible of tragedy we can find peace and when you find that peace oftentimes it is something that can be converted to beauty mm-hmm. and I appreciate and, and thank you for sharing the beauty that you've created through 
what you've gone through. Absolutely. No, yeah. And and I appreciate you creating just this opportunity for me to share it because really that's my only goal. The more people that um, can hear my story, but, but even more so just hear the music. A part of me almost wants people to hear the music first so that they can associate their stories to the music. Um, it's just... Yeah, I I honestly am am super grateful for for these opportunities. So, well, next time you put out an album, we'll we'll try to if there isn't a if there isn't some you know tragedy <laughs> to define the next album, I'll help you make one. We'll we'll figure it out. Perfect. We'll create a. We won't make a tragedy, but we'll create a story because yeah. you know I could I could be doing a lot. I could lie on every single one of these episodes, <laughs> and no one would know it. But no, I thank you everyone for listening. And Sammy, thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you. Hugs, everybody. Well, here's a fun fact to know and share. Did you know that in 2019, Spotify reported that the average musician made a half a cent off of the playing of one of their songs? But did you also know that by buying your favorite musician's albums, That is the equivalent earnings as if you were to play their song over 5,000 times. So with all that being said, I've negotiated something kind of unique for Sammy. I've arranged for Sammy to retain 100% of all of the revenue from album sales purchased by you, dear hug dealers. If you go to 1159media.com and you click on her album on the homepage and purchase it, she makes 100% of off of that. I told her that I really should take a management fee and she said, how about if you don't, I'll even sign the albums. I'm not good at negotiating apparently, so I just said, okay. So if you'd like to hear more of Sammy's album called Silver, sure, you can find her on Spotify or wherever you stream music. Check it out. Just search for her name, Sammy, S-A-M-M-I, and Silver is the album name. But if it means something to you and you want to support her, go to our website, 1159media.com, and pick up her album. And she'll even sign it with the silver Sharpie that she stole from me. And I don't know if I'll get it back, but I keep calling her about it. She's not responding. You can also find her on Insta at Sammy Official Music. And thank you. Well, this episode was a long journey. And if you are hearing this, then most likely you have walked that journey with us. And we couldn't be more grateful. Uh, Sammy's story is one of millions that have made deep impact into the lives of millions more through the ripple effects of the choices that we make every day. One little choice can sometimes completely change the lives of multitudes. And that's what we hoped to share with you today. Like, share, subscribe, you know the drill. And thank you so much for letting us put this in your earballs today. So much hugs to you.